How does Aaron Rodgers know that the guy's standing in the back of the corner of the end zone <laughs> when he's got seven guys who are about to tackle him, like Sam Acho, uh, who, who probably experienced the, the photographic memory of Aaron Rodgers a couple of times. Sam, welcome to WGN. Thanks for being on today. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be here. Does that Rodgers story, before we get into everything else that's going on, does that ring true to you, that he has that level of recall? Well, it's not just him. I think a bunch of athletes, I think people underestimate the way athletes think. A bunch of athletes, you go back and talk to them, and they'll tell you about uh, some of their top plays, whether it's touchdowns or sacks or interceptions. People, especially athletes in particular, tend to have this uh, a pretty solid memory, maybe not photographic, maybe not every play or every touchdown, but a pretty solid memory when it comes to uh, to plays, highs and lows. Speaking of some of the brightest athletes that, that we've got in Chicago, you gathered a handful of them and, and brought them into some of the inner cities and uh, you know just did a lot of great work of just bringing awareness to a lot of different types of groups. Uh, specifically in Colleen Kane's article on the Chicago Tribune, she mentioned uh, Acho believes bringing people together is one of his gifts, and you, you've totally shown that recently, especially. But when, when did you notice that, and, and what, uh, like specifically, did you feel that that was, uh, you know, so close to your heart of something that you could do? Well, the biggest thing for me is, and it goes to where we're at right now in society. A lot of times, people don't want to come together, whether because they don't know what people think like or feel like or what or how people are going to act like. And so, for me be able to bridge those gaps and bridge that barrier. I know that uh, I grew up with a lot of white people going to school, but in my church I was around a lot of black people and even go away. My parents are from Nigeria, so I traveled to Nigeria every summer. And so there's this understanding of different cultures. So I always had that in me. But the, the time when I really noticed it, I guess it was twofold. One, in college, five of my best friends were all from different countries. So one was from India, one was from China, one was from Bulgaria, uh, one was from East Texas, and one was from Mexico. Those are my five best friends. And so at that point, I just said, oh, wow, there's this affinity towards different people coming together. But when I got to the NFL, that's when I really saw, uh, especially doing some of the – I would invite teammates over to my house, and, and it would be a packed house. Twenty, twenty-five people would come, come over. We'd do game nights or, or you know, I'd, we'd do Bible studies or different things, and it just became the thing that was easy for me and really, really enjoyable. And we should rewind back here just for everybody who doesn't know Sam Acho like you should or, or could. He, uh, of course, you went to Texas, UT Hook'em. Uh, Austin is in, you know, a very liberal, if you will, uh, you know, college town. Uh, but, but in, also in Texas. So that's why I bring that up. You know, it's, 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 it's a, I, I've worked down there. Uh, it's a great, great city. And then you, you go to Arizona, uh, start with the Cardinals, then you're in Chicago. And then last year, uh, with, with Tampa. So, and when you were in town here before, Sam, and, and still, of course, you're, you know, I, I see you doing stuff all the time still in Chicago. You, you've had an impact here for, for quite a while. I'm, I'm curious, like, how, you know, being out with, you went around with Jason Hayward and, and Jason Kipnis and Jonathan Taze and Mitch and Allen Robinson, you know, do, how do you feel this is going as far as bringing the community, bringing police officers, bringing people of influence like yourself uh, together in the conversation? Are, are you, would you say you're satisfied? Are you disappointed? Or how do you think you, it could be better? Um, what, you know, just summing up so far how it's gone, what would you say? So far, I'm extremely encouraged. About a week and a half ago, uh, I know everyone was in turmoil. A lot of people are still upset and frustrated and confused and trying to figure out what to do to help our society be better. And I was thinking about, as I mentioned, just these gifts of bringing people together. I said, what if I brought some of the athletes from all these different teams 
together to do something for our community, whether it be protest, which is to be positive, whether it be uh, you know donate money, which could be positive, whether it be going and sitting and listening to kids who are hurting, which could be positive as well. And that's what we did last week. We got together, and it was the idea came on a Monday, and 36 hours later we had, as you mentioned, Jason Hayward, Jason Kidness, Jonathan Taves, uh, Malcolm Subban as well from the from the Blackhawks. We had Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, uh, Ryan Archidiakono from the from the Bulls. We had uh, Max Struess from the Bulls, and also two guys uh, who went to Northwestern who both play in the NFL right now: Tyler yeah. Lancaster and Austin Carr. And we all got together and we went to the west side of Chicago and we just sat and we listened. We sat and we listened and we just heard some of the pain that the kids are going through. Obviously, um, their situation on the west side and the south side is already bad, but because of COVID and because of just some of the the racial tension and turmoil, that situation got became dire. And so for us, it was I'm really encouraged at the agility in which the people came together, and also uh, we we went back. We went back a few days ago to go sit and listen more to those kids and to hear about what their dreams are for the community. And, and I don't want to make this a, a whole kumbaya moment here, but I also do want to, like, I think when you have these conversations, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, you realize that people who come from completely different backgrounds, who might have completely different thoughts coming into the conversation, end up kind of pretty much wanting the same thing. It's just a matter of actually having the conversation and getting to know someone, and then all of a sudden a bunch of doors that you think are closed end up opening up. Is, that might be too Pollyanna, but does that make sense? No, that, that's actually exactly what happened. Most, most of the players you heard that came, it was usually one white guy and one black guy, with Mitch and A-Rob and with um, uh, Taves and Subban and, and, and Kittness and Hayward. And, and even with the Bulls, you had one guy who was uh, Italian and then one white guy. And, I mean, so it's like these guys from different backgrounds, all came, we heard the same thing from a lot of these kids. Like, we want our community to grow. We need people to invest in our community to understand what we're going through. Just because America looks um, looks great from their perspective doesn't mean we're living in the same America. We're, we have a completely different experience. We need people to understand that, and we need people to come alongside us and help us make America better. And you've mentioned it a couple times already today, and I know your brother is big on this, but the phrase of having the uncomfortable conversation. Uh, For those that are either too afraid or don't know how to approach an uncomfortable conversation, what would you say, what would your advice be to them to approach that and and just not make it seem so so scary or or so confrontational and more of like a learning experience? Because I think that's one of the things that people have trouble doing. Yeah, I would say don't be afraid. I think oftentimes we fear some of these conversations. I do a podcast with some friends. We were talking about this the other day. One of my friends, uh, she works on ESPN, Samantha Ponder. She was talking about her daughter and how uh, she was in a subway in New York and her daughter saw an African-American girl with, with dreads and she had never seen dreads before. And out loud, she blurted, hey, what are those? What is that? And, and it, most people say, oh, no, be quiet. Don't say anything. But Sam said, no, um, that's her hair. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? So it's this idea of looking at someone who looks like you and saying, man, isn't that beautiful? Or isn't she beautiful or he beautiful? There's, there's beauty in, in, in being different. And so I think that's where those conversations come into play, understanding that just because you don't look like me or you don't think like me or you don't talk like me doesn't mean I should be afraid of you. If anything, I'm, I'd like to get to know you better. I love that. And it, I think what, you're sort of teeing up is with Theo Epstein, uh, you know, Cubs 
was talking about yesterday as far as impl- and a lot of people are having the conversation right right now about implicit bias which is just unconscious you you have stuff that you're not even aware of coming up when you're when you're seeing somebody that is different from you that's been taught to you from basically the moment that you you know start having you know conscious thoughts right and and it's being aware that, oh, I might have this bias that's going on in me and it might impact who I'm hiring or who I'm friends with or who whatever. And and then you if you're able to see that, then you can actually start seeing the other person a lot better. But there's a huge challenge in that, right? And it's and it's not easy to be aware of the stuff that's going on inside of you that you that you're not even thinking about consciously. Does that make sense? Without a doubt. You know, I um yeah, I have, a, I have a book coming out in the fall, and the title of the book is, is called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. And in that book, I talk about an experience I had with George McCaskey, the owner, uh, the chairman of the Chicago Bears. He and I recently made a video together talking about some of these differences and how we can find a solution. And in that book, I tell the story of how trust was built between a white 50-, 60-something-year-old owner uh, and, a, and a black 20, 30-something-year-old player. And the way that trust was built, I'm not going to tell you the whole story now. You can find out more about it in the book. But the way that trust was built was based off of someone going out on a limb. And it started with George. George McCaskey, a white 50, 60-year-old dude, went out on a limb when he heard about an event I was throwing, and he showed up. And he showed up to this event. He had no idea what it was going to be about. He just knew there was a player doing it. It happened to be a black guy. It happened to hear, he heard about my character from a team I've been on before. And he showed up. And then the fact that he showed up allowed me to show up when, 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 when really a lot of people's livelihoods was on the line. Uh, when it came to Anthem Talk and even more things that we did to build a relationship. And all of that that I talk about in the book led to some people may have seen the video that George McCaskey and I did about race relations in America and how to find a solution. And so to answer your question, that bias does exist, but the only way you get past that bias is trust. And trust is usually an act of faith. And so that's, there are barriers, but oftentimes you literally just have to open up the door and walk through. Hey, Sam, do you, do you have uh, a little more time? We get, we got to take a quick 90 second timeout. Can you hang out with us? Would love to. Would love to. All right, hang on one second here. 90 seconds. We're back with Sam Acho on 720 WGN. Former Chicago Bear Sam Acho here on 720 WGN. Sam is involved, is the vice president of the NFL Players Association Executive Committee. He's a free agent right now. Somebody should sign him immediately. But, uh, hey, Sam, what do you think should happen going forward around the anthem? There's a lot of discussion about uh, should players be kneeling again is that is that the best way to do it i've heard other players say that hey been there done that let's do something different i'm seeing baker mayfield saying that he's going to kneel this year some people are thinking that it needs to be a whole team together i mean how are you looking at what's the best move as far as nfl players who want to continue in the conversation going forward well i think the best move is thinking about why people are kneeling or why people are peacefully protesting. When Colin Kaepernick in 2016 originally started to uh, sit down during the National Anthem, he stated that he was peacefully protesting uh, police brutality in America, the fact that African Americans were getting killed by police and there was no accountability. And so I think the conversation needs to be a little bit shifted a little bit 
So when people say, hey, this is why I'm protesting, people understand that your protest has nothing to do with um, the flag or um, the anthem. Um, and even if it does, even if it does, even if, even if people were protesting against a flag, let's just let's park there for a little bit. Your outrage over that protest for that flag should it should pale in comparison to your outrage over the death of another human being. And that I think is where that's where I sit. I look at people's outrage over over what they perceive to be a protest about a, about a flag, even though it's not. And I see I see I see yelling, I see burning of jerseys, I see people saying I'm never going to buy another ticket to a game over what they believe is a protest over over a flag, which is not true, but that's what they believe. But then you actually see African American after African American after after African American getting killed, and there's no protest. There's no silence. There's no talk. There's just silence. The radio silence. And so I think that I think that's a conversation that needs to really start happening. Whether players protest or not, um, it's neither here nor there. The reason I say that is that I'll, I mean, just last year, maybe it was a year and a half ago, actually, two seasons ago, players started to protest again, and and the NFL and some networks knew what's happening, and and they stopped they stopped showing the national anthem. Some stations stopped showing the national anthem as a part of their broadcast. As, as a way to try and mute that protest. So there are going to be ways to protest and bring awareness, but there also are going to be ways that you actually bring awareness to people's consciousness to say, hey, you need to be outraged. Whether you're a protest or not, you should be outraged about the death of another human being because that human being is made in the image of God, and he's no different than you. He's no uh, better than you, nor is he worse than you. And the fact that you think that, the fact that you still get so upset about uh, what you perceive to be a protest over a flag or an anthem, yet you say nothing about the death of a human being, I think that statement right there should really just sit with people and people need to consider um, why those feelings and that anger or sometimes that lack of anger exist. So clearly it's it's a huge deal when Roger Goodell sits down and, and looks at a camera and, and admits wrong by the NFL and himself. How much faith do you have in, in this league moving forward to seeing changes? Do Because I, I know when that statement came out, it was moving, it was powerful, but some people still thought that some names like George Floyd were missing, some uh, other things were missing from that. How much faith do you have that this is a step in the right direction, wholesome for the NFL? Yeah, it was a powerful statement. It definitely was a powerful statement. I wish I wish we would have asked for more. People say people are saying, Goodell, say just say that Black Lives Matter and just say that systemic racism does exist. And he, and he did, he did, which is positive. And people, now people are saying, well, let's get Colin Kaepernick a job, and, and maybe he will get a job in the NFL, which would be positive. But even if Cap gets a job, that doesn't address the injustices that still exist in America. Even if Cap gets a job or Goodell makes a statement. That doesn't address the fact that um, implicit bias and, and unconscious bias, not only do they exist, but they prevail. That doesn't address many of these uh, systemic issues in America. I think the way you address those issues, whether there's a statement or not, is by action. Right? I'm all about action and solution. And so I, even wrote a, I wrote an article in the Players' Tribune about the race issues in the NFL, and I offered a couple solutions. Right? And, and hiring practices. I talked about hiring practices. I talked about... Um, you know, different ways to, to do a symposium, minority symposium, and, and things of that nature. So I, I believe that uh, a solution will come. I think that was that what Goodell said was more than just a statement. I believe that action will, will come as a result of it, and I'm confident and I'm hoping and praying that that action will be 
sustained. I know there will be action because oftentimes when stories like this come up to the forefront of people's minds and their, of their consciousness, people want to make action and want to move. But oftentimes after a week or two weeks or a month, think about when, when, you, when you lose a loved one, right? Or maybe when, you, when, when somebody goes through a loss, you might shoot them a text that day or the next day or the next week. But, but two weeks later, people aren't texting you anymore. A month later, no one really is remembering. Six months later, no one talks about it. So my hope is that there will be sustained change in our communities. It's actually a really good reminder, by the way, to people who have friends out there who have lost someone, and when time goes by for a while, that's kind of the time to, to reach out to those, which is a whole other side conversation, but just an interesting interesting way that you brought that up, Sam. I appreciate it. Uh, hey, so I'm just going back to 2017, and Akeem Hicks was just on a Zoom call talking about, uh, you know, he, it was just, he was pausing for about five seconds, and he brought, hey, you know, we signed Mike Glennon in reference to Kaepernick who, you know, and Glennon hadn't started for two years, and Cap was coming off a season where he had 16 touchdowns and four interceptions, and in 2013 he had taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl, and the Bears were like every other team in the NFL that, you know, just viewed him as too big of a distraction and a risk or whatever you want to say it was to not bring him in. And Akeem, like, he, he said that he felt like he could have done more at the time, but he was worried about losing his job. I'm wondering, like, what what was your mindset, like, looking back on it? Do you think you should have been doing more there? I forgot exactly, you know, what I know you were in the conversation, but did you feel like there was going to be repercussions if you had gone further? Yeah, the fear definitely does exist and did exist. Think about this. When you see a problem and you want to offer a solution, but no one's listening, what do you do? You see a problem, you want to offer a solution, but no one's listening, what do you do? I think about how now we talked about earlier, I went to the University of Texas, and right now some of the, the players at UT uh, wrote, put together a proposal saying, hey, we, we see some issues as far as some of the racist history of our, of our university and also the country, but specifically our university. Some of them dealing with some of the statues that are on campus, some dealing with some of the, 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 the lack of, of, of history that's being taught, lack of African-American history, and also some of them dealing with some of the songs that we sing. Uh, specifically one of the fight songs. Uh, and so in that song, it talks about, you know, the eyes of Texas are upon you all the live long day. The eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get away. And that song is actually a, a version of a song that was sung by uh, Robert E. Lee, who obviously was a general in the South, who was a big proponent of slavery. Uh, and so this whole, whole idea of, of the eyes of the South are upon you. And so a lot of players back in college, we knew that there was, there was some racial connotations to this song, but we did not know what to do about it. No one was listening. And now, to Akeem's point, to your point, people are listening. Now you see the University of Texas players saying, we are not going to go to these team functions or fundraisers where we're, or we're not going to recruit new players if we don't do something about the history that's being taught, about some of these statues that uh, commemorate uh, leaders who were big proponents of slavery, and also if we don't do something about this song this song, right? People are listening now. And so two years ago, I don't blame Akeem. People weren't listening. Everyone was, was, was Colin Kaepernick w- didn't have a job and no one really cared at the time. It was too uh, dangerous of a topic to talk about, but now people are listening. That's why you see Roger Goodell come in and make his statement. And I know for me now, I just think about how I'm excited how everyone's ears are up now. People are understanding that, wow, maybe, maybe Cap was, was right. Sam- maybe he was right. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You can finish that thought. I'm sorry. 
Well, no, just the point of maybe he was right. And maybe I do need to look at some of the, the, the African-Americans who are, who are being killed. Maybe I need to look at some of the systemic uh, racism. Maybe I can be a part of that solution. So I, I don't want to keep going back to what you were saying about uncomfortable conversations, but I know you've been uh, really advocating the, the phrase educate, empathize, and, and advocate. Um, clearly, as you mentioned, diversity was so big in your upbringing. Do you ever get uncomfortable in these types of conversations? Because, I mean, you're, you're so educated on everything, and I don't want to say everything, but pretty much everything that you, you get into a conversation about. But, you know, again, going back to people don't know how to react in some of these situations. Do you ever find yourself in those shoes? I do. And, and for me, I love learning. And so I'm not I love getting educated on certain things. So for me, when I say educate, empathize and advocate, that's for anyone who wants to figure out how can I make a change? I know I don't know how to fix the problem, but I do admit now there's a problem. So how can I make a change? I'm going to educate myself in 2017. And I talk about this in my book as well. In 2017, uh, with when, when everyone was up in arms, this is the situation Akeem was talking about. We had signed Mike Glennon. No one had signed cap, and players were ready to take a knee around the NFL, across the board. Every player is ready to take a knee because a comment that the, the president had said at the time. And I caught myself in a conversation with, George McCaskey, Ryan Pace, and John Fox, who was the head coach at the time, about what to do and how do we handle the situation. Um, and right around that time, I decided to educate myself on some of our country's history by reading a couple books uh, that talked about the history, by going uh, down to a police ride-along here, just to find an idea of how police handle some situations with African Americans. I went to a prison in Illinois. I've never been to a prison before. I went to educate myself. And so, and so I think for me, it's not about knowing everything. It's about being willing to risk looking foolish, being willing to risk being uncomfortable and, and sitting in a police car and saying, okay, Mr. Officer, how do you go about this situation and learning from him or, or going to a prison and saying, man, how did you get here? And looking at the situation there, we, we went to, uh, and I took George with me, McCaskey with me. We went to a rap concert. We went to a rap concert and, and, and talked with the, uh, this rapper. His name is Lecrae, socially conscious rapper and said, Hey, what can we do about these situations? And so when I say educate, that's for everyone. We all need to continue to learn and, and, and put ourselves in these in these uncomfortable conversations. Sam Acho with us for for one more minute here. And, and and this is not, by the way, my question is not to blame anyone whatsoever here. But when we talk about 2017 and, and, and Mike Glennon, I just wonder, you know, when when you look at and and Mitch has been a guy in the community and all of it. But when you look at that draft, I'm wondering, like, hey, was there implicit bias going on here? I mean, Deshaun Watson had an incredible college career. So, so did Patrick Mahomes. And Mitch wasn't on their level. And, I, and, and again, not to blame anyone, but I'm wondering, like, is somebody sitting in the room like yourself and seeing who they drafted where you think, eh, this could be a little bit, maybe they're missing something here that, that, that's a little unconscious. Well, I would really, instead of pointing at 2017, I think we'd be better off pointing at 2018 with Lamar Jackson. All of you remember Lamar Jackson, the Louisville quarterback, who was an unbelievable quarterback, set records, Heisman, all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden there was talk that, well, he can't throw or he's more of a runner. And he's not, he doesn't have an IE, he's not a real quarterback. And he got passed up on, passed up on, passed up on. This guy could have been a first-round pick if he was white. But passed up on, first overall, if he was white, passed up on. Then finally, 32nd pick in the first round, the Baltimore Ravens trade back into the first round to go and get Lamar Jackson. Why? To be their quarterback. 
So people looked at him with this bias of saying, well, he's fat, he's black, he can't throw. And and people say, well, Sam, how dare you say that? Well, if anybody looks at history, you look at uh, the quarterback position and the center position were two of the, 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 the last positions to be integrated in football along with, with center. Quarterback, center, middle linebacker. Why? Many coaches at that time didn't think that um, uh, African-Americans were smart enough to play quarterback or middle linebacker, which is the quarterback of the defense and also center who calls out protection. And so if you just go back into history, once again, I, I went to the uh, National Museum of African-American History and Culture in D.C. And, and saw some of the artifacts that actually proves that, oh, wow, this did exist. Right? I talked to people who played back uh, in that day and said, yeah, this is true. Some of these biases that you're hearing about, this is true. People didn't think that African-Americans were smart enough. And so I would point to 2018 and say, man, imagine all those teams that passed up on Lamar Jackson. What are they thinking now? Setting records, pat, throwing the ball, setting passing records and rushing records. Yeah. I believe that when you integrate sports, um, TV, business, I believe whatever you do, it, it becomes better. Sam, you're awesome. We're up against the news. Thank you so much. We'll do this again, okay? Thank you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Sam Macho, news right now, 720 WGN.